Boy, eh? But I'm sure if you contact them after third service, they'll be happy to come home with you too. So, <laughs> yeah, as long as you feed them. <laughs> All right, you can have a seat. And turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 as we're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians, this amazing book that shows us how blessed we are, how rich we are, how much God has done for us, what his rescue of us, what his grace for us really means. You know, um, Barack Obama has been the president now for about a month, and I really thought he'd have things straightened out by now. (laughs) Spending a lot of money, I'm not seeing a lot of results, but the big thing I'm disappointed in is that after a month, he still hasn't brought world peace. And I'm just thinking, come on, a guy as smart as Obama with another Harvard genius like Hillary as the Secretary of State, we ought to have peace by now, right? Of course, I'm being facetious. Because the truth is, no matter how well-intentioned all of our world leaders are, none of them has what it takes to bring peace to the world. And so we can try different ways, we can have great intentions, but ultimately, for world peace, we have to wait until the Prince of Peace comes and brings that to us. But peace is what we want. It's not surprising that we can't bring peace among the nations because we can't even bring peace with our best friends. We can't even seem to have two people married and stay at peace. Then you add kids to it and extended relatives, and it just seems like the more involved we are with people, the less peace we experience in our lives. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this, and he addresses the remedy, but he does so by talking to the Gentiles and reminding them of what it was like to be a Gentile and how the, the Jews looked at them the way they did. But the principles here apply to, in all sorts of ways, but he is here addressing those who were non-Jewish. And of course, in those days, if you weren't a Jew, the Jews really looked down on you. They looked on you and thought you were a dog, basically less than human. And they would look on scorn with those who are uncircumcised, as being those who are outside the realm of worth and value and certainly out of God's love. And here in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He paints a bleak picture of where they were. And in this case, in relationship to those who were called God's people, the Jews. Now, Backing up a little bit, the Jews had been chosen by God. But what was their agenda? Were they chosen to be isolated, to be separated, to be those who are cut off from everyone else? No, far from it. 
God chose the Jews so that he could show his love to them and through them that he would reach the entire world. And he made it clear to Abraham, through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so God's intention was to reveal himself to the children of Israel, recognizing their need, of course, finding them especially at times when they were completely down and in the dumps, whether it was rescuing them from Egypt or whether it was taking them from captivity in Babylon or whatever low spots they hit, it was God's intention to rescue them so that they could spread the word that God so loved the world. Ultimately, the reflection of Judaism would result in the bringing of the Messiah. All of their sacrificial systems were pictures looking forward to that which God would once do, ultimately, in his son Jesus Christ. But the Jewish people, for the most part, never really got that. They saw themselves as being chosen and special, and therefore they did with their differences what we so often do with ours. And they took differences that could have been appreciated and instead, they built walls out of those differences. Now, don't we do the same? As soon as we find out that we are different from someone else, immediately there's an opportunity for a wall to be built. That's what all wars come from. That's what all fights among families come from. That's what all church splits and business problems and everything else develop from. It's when we have a difference... And there's one thing I know about us. We are different, number one. And number two, I am right and you are wrong. <laughs> My difference makes me special. Your difference makes you quirky and weird. <laughs> and so, you know, for us to get together, how could it happen? Because you are probably never going to agree that my difference is better than your difference. And we are in a diverse world. We are in a world whereby there are differences among every one of us. I mean, you, you know we live here in Southern California, and like our music this morning had kind of a Latin feel. And some of you are going, it's about time they'd bring some Mexicans in here, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and there are others who are like... <laughs> And there are others who are just going, this doesn't relate to me at all. I feel like I'm at the swap meet, you know? And I, and, <laughs> but that's it. We're different. And our humanity dictates that when someone is different than me, I just think I'm better than they are. Every party that differs from another party always thinks that their way is best. I was... Between services, I was looking down there, and there's a 1960 Ford Falcon sitting in the parking lot right down there on the end. And, boy, the memories came back of that 1960 Ford Falcon that we had that my mom would drive everywhere and would haul us in. And as I was talking to the people who own it, and they were saying, yeah, the trunk is so huge. And I remember, yeah, my mom would deliver phone books. And we'd fill the trunk of that car with phone books. And I'd sit in the back of the trunk, and she'd drive. And I'd go running and put the phone books on people's houses. Not occurring to me that she had the easy job just driving. And I, <laughs> but, 
man, I look at that car and I remember lying in the back window of that car and, you know, just riding in that thing, learning to, learning to drive in that car. And it's like, at this moment, I'm thinking, there may not be a better car in the parking lot than a 1960 Ford Falcon because that's one that I have memories in. That's one that's special to me. But we do that with our lives. Obviously, if that was such a great car, they would have kept making them. But <laughs> they came up with the much improved Pinto, and you know how that went. <laughs> but every one of us looks at things through our own lens. And so I think I'm better than you are when it comes right down to it. If I really thought you were better than me, I would try to be more like you. But I am the way I am because it seems best. And that is the source. That Ultimately, that pride is the source of all division. It's what comes between people. And because there are things that come between people, as a result, we don't have peace. And we won't until we are brought together, ultimately, under the rule of the Prince of Peace. Now, again, looking at this, he says, you know you were the guys who were out. You were the Gentiles in the flesh. You were born Gentiles. You couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't, you know, you weren't guilty of being Gentiles. You were just Gentiles, but... Hey, and the irony here is he says, those you were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. These people who were physically made to be a certain way, and the point of circumcision was to call out your uniqueness and your unique calling, but they turned it around and said, we are better than you are because of our flesh. And not realizing, wait a minute, we were all born just like you. We, weren't, we didn't come out of the womb circumcised. That was something that happened. But we take it and leave it to people to think that something like circumcision makes you cool, makes you somehow superior. But he goes, you know what it felt like to be on the other end of that. And at the time, you were without Christ Nobody was telling you about the coming Messiah. Nobody was sharing with you. That at least the Jews had something to look forward to. You didn't because they didn't tell you. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They looked on you as being illegal aliens, being foreigners, being somebody that really didn't belong. You're strangers from the covenants of promise. Any, any promise of a future and a hope, it wasn't yours. That was just sounded like a strange concept to you. Having no hope and without God in the world. There you were in the world, no hope, no promise. Nobody's telling you it could be any different than this. God was working, but you didn't have a clue, you pathetic Gentiles. And... Paul's calling them to remember where they were before a message came to them. It doesn't have to be this way. And that message would be the message that would change the world. Up until that point, nothing but walls, nothing but division, nothing but attitudes of superiority, one over another, wars happening because I want to prove that our army is bigger than your army. 
that our approach is better, that our civilization is superior to yours. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Something happened on the cross that changed all of that. You were lost. As we saw earlier, you were dead. You had no hope. You were without God. The people who were at least the closest to God considered you to be dogs. They looked down on you as the uncircumcised masses. But the blood of Jesus Christ changed all of that. Because here is the truth ultimately that Judaism was looking forward to, was declaring without even being aware of it. The truth is there was a a redeemer who would die for the sins of the world, not of the nation. And their culture, that system of law, was designed to paint a picture of what would once deliver everyone. And now these Christians here in Ephesus, these Gentiles who at one point had no hope at all, now the good news had made it through to them that the blood of Jesus Christ is something that levels all differences, really, when it comes to division and superiority and pride. Oh, God wants us to be different. He appreciates and enjoys difference. But he gave his son to die for the world so that there would be something that we would have in common that's so great that it would supersede all of those differences that cause us to be at war, all of those things that would destroy us. It's so strange, ever since the Garden of Eden, really, that there has been this division that was made. As Adam and Eve sinned, and now they were embarrassed to see God. And they were really ashamed to even look at each other because differences that at one time had been great now started looking like disturbing. And then growing up, their kids, Cain and Abel, one a, a rancher, one a farmer, they gave their sacrifices and Cain hated the fact that Abel gave a different sacrifice than he did and that, that God had accepted it. And so what did he do? Change his sacrifice? No. He killed his brother. And brother has been killing brother ever since. It's no different than today in this world where where people who are Muslims are killing each other because you're not the right kind of Muslim that I am. I mean, you understand how they are, they believe that they are the superior you know, religion somehow, but even people who believe their religion, they don't believe it quite like they do. They hate each other more than they hate us. And it's one thing to look at the Muslims and see that, but I'll tell you something, the same thing is true among Christians. Christians hostile against other Christians because they do things differently than they do. Wanting to just, oh, the way we do it is the best way to do it. The way those guys do it, they're so weird. It's so wrong. It's so twisted. Don't they get it? We are doing it right. They are doing it weird. And so I am the definition of normal. And anything that differs from my standard 
is weird. And what do I do with that? I build a wall. I start going, eh, the Baptist church over there, they believe just about everything we believe. But there's some differences. Stylistic differences. You know, they have those bells ringing and we think that's archaic or, or we think it's cool but we don't have bells. So, you know, and, and so we start thinking, you know, I hate sharing a driveway with these guys. Why don't we build a wall down the middle? That's what, that's what we do in our personal lives. That's what we do in our spiritual lives in every way. Why do we do that? Because we don't get the point of the blood of Jesus. We don't understand the reality of grace. The blood of Jesus says nothing else could have saved us. The only way that what's broken in us could be made right was if he would do it for us, if he would give himself. And therefore, the only difference ultimately between me and you and somebody who has never even heard the name of Jesus is whether or not we understand, we get that he loves us and he wants to save us. And our job, our task is to spread that word, is to tear down those walls that exist, is to climb over them wherever they are to go to the rest of the world to take the message of the blood of Jesus Christ that, hey, your price has been paid. Your sins can be forgiven if you just receive Jesus Christ He's got you covered. The reason we don't do that often is because of the walls that we've built. We've become so much like the Jewish people that we're Christians and we have it right and therefore we can't wait to tell everyone what's wrong out there. And somehow we think that if we can convince people of how messed up they are that ultimately somehow they're going to miraculously want to become like us. But then they see us as mean, prideful, arrogant people who build walls, and they don't want any part of us because they see us the way the Gentiles saw the Jews. You think you're the circumcised and we're the uncircumcised, and it's all about man-made stuff that exists. And that's our difference. And that's what the blood of Jesus Christ came to defeat and to conquer Now he goes on to say, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Here it says that Jesus is our peace. It says that in verse 15 he makes peace. And in verse 17 that he preached peace. So... It starts with peace with him, he, him becoming our peace. So everything that's wrong with me is made right because I accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. I accept the fact that I can be saved simply by putting my trust in him. It's by grace. I don't earn anything. 
Now, what happens when I understand grace? Grace will prevent me from building walls because grace is what will humble me instead of making me think my difference makes me something better than you. I understand my difference, but I see that Jesus Christ died for me and I have peace with him and it's free. It's nothing I had to earn. It's nothing that I can brag about. It's nothing that I could you know, say it makes me superior to you. It's a gift from God. And when I understand how I got peace with God, then the next thing that happens is I will find myself having a much greater capacity to have peace with others as well. Why? Because the walls don't need to be built. The differences don't need to divide us. The differences can draw us together because of that which we have in common, which is the fact that we were all going to hell until God's grace showed up and he gave his life for us. And now we all stand equal on equal ground at the foot of the cross and go, the only reason I'm here is because of God's grace. The only reason I'm here is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I dare not start to believe that I'm better than anyone else. Because the most vile and horrible mass murderer out there has so much in common with me that you can't even believe it. Because I may be living a really good life, and there are some people who, even before they're Christians, are just really good people. Some people just seem to have that in them. Sometimes that even keeps them from God because they're like, I'm better than most Christians I know. Why should I become a Christian? But that person who's so good, they still aren't perfect. And they can never be good enough to earn an eternity in heaven. And that person and the most vile, gross, horrible sinner that you read about in the newspaper, they're exactly the same. They need the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive them from sin. And when I look at people out there in the world, I don't look down my nose. I don't look and go, oh, how could they be so awful? I look out there and I go, the only thing that ever fixed me is the same thing that'll fix them. And that is the gift of God's grace through salvation in Jesus Christ. Now in these verses, as he's kind of making reference to the ordinances and the walls that existed in Judaism... He's calling attention to the fact that there was a purpose behind all that stuff in Judaism. It was to illustrate what's wrong with this world. See, Judaism all centered around the temple, right? It was, there was finally a little inner place where hovering over the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of God dwelt. You could sense God was there. And so the temple is all about God's presence, but what the temple is made of is a bunch of walls. And there's an outer wall that Gentiles couldn't even come inside, only Jews. And then there's another wall where you had to be a priest in order to enter into that area. And another, finally, that wall separating the holy place from the holiest of holies was a wall that no one could come in, and that's where God's glory was. And the only person who could come in there was the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement. And they tied a rope around his, 
his ankle and he had bells on the bottom of his robe because if he messed up, he would die on the spot and they'd drag him out of there with the rope. So nobody had to go in there and get him. What a great job that is. <laughs> you go, well, shoot, he only worked once a year. Well, no, he worked all year, but it was that one time when he got closer to the presence of God than anyone else in the world, certainly anyone else in the nation, and other people got close. Levites got close. The Jews got not quite so close, but they were in the neighborhood. Gentiles could even come and hang around the outside where the souvenir stands were and stuff. But ultimately... Every wall said this, you can't enter, you can't come. But when Jesus Christ died, the veil, the opening to the Holy of Holies was ripped in half from top to bottom as God took it and he goes, that's it. The wall's been torn down. Sadly, the, the Jewish leaders sewed the thing back up and rehung it and continued to let the walls separate. Now, really, is some Gentile hanging around outside that worse off than a Jew who gets to go in there and sacrifice animals and yet he still doesn't ever see God? It, it's, a, it's all about God being at the center, but the temple is all about the fact that you can't see him. You can't be with him. But, and what that did ultimately is the high priest thought he was better than the other priests. And the priests thought they were better than the ordinary Jews. And the ordinary Jews thought they were better than the Gentiles. And the Gentiles thought they were better than the other nations around the world who weren't even close. Some were closer than others, but all hit the wall when it came to connecting with God. And that is the same way we function in so many different ways. We build walls where God intends to take people who are different and put them together. And so it works like this in a family, husband and wife. The man, well, when they get married, he's fairly normal and for a man. But the guy thinks like a guy. The woman, well, she thinks like a woman. Each of them knows there's something wrong with the other. <laughs> and they try to do everything they can to change that person into thinking like them. So the woman is acting in an emotional way and she's upset and crying about something that's, to the man, frivolous. And he sends a message either, either specifically or subtly to say, why don't you just suck it up a little bit? Why don't you toughen up? It's not, it's not bothering me. I watched the movie. I'm not crying. You know what's, what's wrong with you? On the other hand, the woman sees the man as being just completely bottled up and acting like a man. And she just knows, if I can just break this guy and, and make him feel the way I feel, we'll be better off. And generally, a wall gets built when that happens. Now, once in a while, you're successful. And it's one of the most sickening things there is. <laughs> when either 
a man turns a woman into a hard and tough, you know, you know, man. And then they go, look, I didn't want to marry a guy. I, where did this come from? Or the woman just completely demasculates the man, and he's sitting there watching chick flicks and crying and everything. And, it, and you're going, this isn't what I wanted. For most of us, we experiment with that a bit, and then we just decide, you know what? Let's just build a wall, and I'll have my life, and you have yours, and we'll fight about this for the rest of our lives. <laughs> then kids come into the picture, and they act like kids. And the parents think their role is to teach kids not to act like kids. Stop acting like that. But this is how kids act. Well, I'll teach you. And then we end up with a bunch of 10-year-old adults who, you know, we've forced them to grow up. Society has put that on them. Or we end up with walls and we go, I don't understand this next generation. I don't get what's going on. And we build walls and we have division and we fight and we quarrel. And some of those walls are around our nation. Some of those walls are around the world. Some of those walls run down the middle of our nation and divide us so that we're like, you know, everybody in one party votes one way and everybody in the other party votes the other way. Why? Because there's a wall. That's why I'm afraid to vary from what I'm supposed to do because it might topple that balance of power that's such a beautiful thing. Walls aren't beautiful things. And in every way, and there are a million different ways that he could have illustrated it, but God illustrated it with the temple. And he goes, look at these walls. Who can tear down these walls? Who can accept differences and go, this is okay. Everyone has a place. Everyone is equal. You don't have to decide who is superior to who else. You can let your pride go by the wayside, and you can accept the fact that there is one who is our peace and he makes peace for us and he preaches that peace every time he opens his mouth to us and it starts at the cross where we're all equal. It starts with his blood, which is the only thing that could fix anything that was ever wrong with anyone. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. He paid the price. There is no reason for there to be division. There's no reason for anyone to look for God and hit a wall. And then we who have received Jesus Christ get the privilege of carrying that message with going out to those who are different than we are and going, I have great news for you. There's no reason for us to be separate. There's no reason for me to judge you or you to judge me. Jesus Christ was judged on the cross, and he paid the penalty for all of that. And he joins us together as we find our personal peace with him. And if we remember where that came from, and if we understand that it's a work of his grace, not of our righteousness, then what happens is, man, do we have something in common? In the same way that people who survive catastrophes, you know those people who were on that plane recently that went down in the Hudson River and they all survived. They love a captain, Sully, for doing what he did, just his job, what he was trained to do, 
He's paid well for it. He's getting a lot of attention and everything. But man, he's like a national hero and, and should be. Did a great job. But everybody on that plane now looks at everyone else who was on that plane and going, we made it. We have something so in common. We experience something that most people will never experience. And as a result, there's this binding together. There's this unity that I suppose the only thing that you could maybe compare it to is people who go to war side by side. And experiencing that kind of unity and that kind of camaraderie, it makes friends for life. And here what Paul is saying is, that's where you are. Do you understand that walls have been torn down because of what Jesus did? Do you understand that there isn't any reason for there to be division and fighting and hassling among you? Do you realize that you share with every man, woman, and child on this earth a common fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he loves you? And what happens when that message goes out? What happens when we share that? It's life-changing. Because we're not saying, you guys are messed up and we have it together. And if you'll be good, we'll let you join us. And they go, I don't even want to be like you. I get to watch football on Sundays as it is. You know, What do I, what do I want to join up with you for? They don't want to climb over that wall. And if we build walls and make people climb over them to come in, most of the time they just won't do it. Sometimes they will. Most won't. But when we can go out there with the message of grace that says the walls have been torn down, forgiveness is offered and it's free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. It's just, you just receive it. And when you find your peace with God, oh, me and you, we'll be, we'll be best friends. And you will find that there are a whole bunch of people who get this. And you're going to have a connection with them like people who survive a plane crash. Because we all did it the same way. And it doesn't matter whether somebody is better than someone else. None of us was good enough. The cross says that. But all of us are the recipients of his grace. Grace tears down walls between differing people between national groups, between racial groups, between gender groups, between all sorts of different things that divide us. Those are all man-built barriers that are designed to keep us from finding our common faith and our common hope and that common love at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And as he says there in verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. The wall's been torn down. The differences don't matter. The fact is, we all needed the same thing, and we all have that same offer of grace. And when we come to it, oh man, it's like joining the greatest club ever, a place where you don't have to be right anymore, where you don't have to be better than anyone else where you realize every one of us got in by the same grace, by the same blood of Jesus. And that is powerful stuff. We can live our lives continuing to build walls, 
Or we can receive that grace of God and understand the blood of Jesus and come boldly before the throne of grace by the same Spirit when we realize, hey, this is for all of us. This is for the world. It's not just for a remnant. It's for everyone. The offer is there. Our job is to communicate that, to go out there and tear walls down and bring this good news. It's the solution to all the problems in life. He is our peace. Let's pray. Lord, you are our peace. We understand that. And what we don't understand is why we so often rebel against it against the grace, against salvation being free. It's so stupid when we, we still try to make ourselves like we're something at the expense of everything. Lord, help us just to receive your grace, receive your blood being applied on our behalf, and help us to spend our time as much as possible reaching out to those who are different than we are and tearing down the walls of division, and letting them know we have something great in common. We have both been gifted with the God of peace. He loves us both. He died for us both. And we can be drawn together as we're drawn close to him. Lord, help us to live that way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.